Cheryl Crow squawking at an apple core. Cocaine cowboy comes to shoot the breeze. Horn flick in my head keeps coming on my mind. Robber at the dog pound quickly flees. Bit of surrealist prose sent in by Tolliver McTavish from Biliwila. Thank you, Tolliver. Thanks, Tolliver. Um, Long time listener of uh, Talking Out Your Arts. I would assume so. I have no idea. Mm. I don't know how you know that, but did that some correspondence s- you and Tolliver have been sharing in private, oh, obviously. I thought that got sent to your email address, but anyway, no we digress. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, on Talking Out Your Arts. This is a, a very special uh, a very special episode of Talking Out Your Arts. Uh, They're all special in their own true. way. They're like children. Um because we're, it's special because we're we're in production week. We're actually, we just had our last dress rehearsal. Yeah. We're currently sitting show. in our dress re- dressing room, uh, recording this for our upcoming season of our uh, Australian premiere of our show, Locked In. Yes, which um, is playing the Diane. Diane, oh, sorry, I don't want to get that wrong, or uh, she'll come back and kill me. Diane Salento Studio at Queensland Theatre, opening the 1st of December through to the 11th of December. Get your tickets. Um, how, do we, how do we even talk about this show? I guess that's what we're going to find out in this conversation. Yes, so... Uh, Today we're going to uh, we've we've in, we've asked some of our colleagues to join us, um, and uh, maybe that's a good time to introduce you both. So uh, welcome, Veronica and Shinru, to talking out your arts. Uh, maybe Shinru, should we start with you? Uh, can you tell us or tell our listeners who you are and? Um, how you're involved in this project in the show. Okay. Hello. <laughs> Thanks, Sam and Hayden invite me to this show and Ronnie. Trust me. Um uh my name is Singru Eli, aka Raw. Yeah. <laughs> uh I am a contemporary dancer. Um, but I am also doing a lot of um physical theatre. So um so I guess that's um that's I think that's the reason why because I sort of do a lot of um sort of acting performers as well as dance within the show and that's why I'm in this production. And uh my background is Taiwanese. I speak Mandarin and English. So in this show I'll speak a bit of my own language. Uh, which make me feel more comfortable um, to act on stage. Mm. Yeah. Um, And we are thrilled to have you in the show and it's it's sort of a part of, I guess, a new recipe for this production which dates back a few years now. I think 2017 the show dates back. 2015 we started making it and we did the first development and... uh, then it got put on hold and we were meant to present it at a festival in Norway in 2016, but then that got delayed for a year and then we ended up doing the first version of the show in 2017 in Denmark and then in Norway. Um, and uh, at that time, it was myself and um, Johanna uh, Fossim was the other collaborator along with uh you veronica neve uh, welcome welcome um 
So, yeah, I guess, do you want to, well, let's firstly introduce yourself. So I'm Veronica Neve. You might have heard heard of me already. Um, just kidding. Nobody's heard of me. <laughs> um, I'm directing this piece and I think it was, uh, but I, I worked on the original production, 2015, where we kind of developed this idea. Sam was, I think I, did I buy you the book? Originally, I think I bought you the book and you read it and we both had a... Oh, there's a knock on the door. How ominous. Ow! Yes. Hello? You can open it, Shinru. Uh, naked in here. No. Oh, this is this is interesting. This Hello. is live broadcasting. Oh. Live broadcasting. Hey. Oh, hi. 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 Hi, it's Tony Glynn. Welcome to the episode. Good work. Amazing. The uh, production manager just said the iron is ready. Oh, oh good. Um, Thanks, Tony. There so you go. Yeah, the I, joys did I... of uh, <laughs> live. We are actually in a dressing room at a theatre. Yeah, so there you go. These things happen. Manager, Deal with it. Iron the sheets and the set. Um, yeah, did I give you the book? Yeah, I, yeah. I remember. Uh, I recall how it all started was, I remember I had the book for quite a few years. I gave um, you the book. Yes, that's an important point. That's my idea. You gave me the book. Uh and then I remember reading the book and then I remember seeing the film, which is a French the film. The book we're speaking of is called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly by um, Jean... Jean-Pierre Bourby. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so I remember reading that and being just like blown away by it and then seeing the mm. film and mm. going, holy shit, this mm. is fucking terrifying and amazing. So then when Johanna said there's an opportunity to collaborate and make a show for a festival in Norway, I was like, it must have been not long after I'd read the book or, or maybe a few years or something, but it was always it always stayed in my mind and I remember saying, oh, we should do a, a a piece based on or inspired by The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. And um, and then I mentioned to you that idea. Yeah, it's and interesting how we have different memories of things. I think it was I mentioned the idea to you. Anyhow, um, the idea came to be that Sam and I were both really fascinated by this book, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which is an incredibly beautiful piece of prose in its own right. He was a writer um, and in a way, I guess we'd always wanted to do a piece that um, I have a physical theatre background. Uh, well, first of all, I had a text theatre background, but then I ran away and joined the circus, and so had much more was much more interested in devising works that didn't rely hundred percent on using the spoken word. And this story seemed to lend itself to not being a text based piece, but being a, a, an exploration of a physical piece. Funnily enough exploring the physicality of a man who can't move at all. So that was the extra challenge of how do we physically tell his internal life. Um, yeah, so it was a really interesting challenge. Mm. And what um, – so just to catch people up, so we, we, we mounted this that first production. We performed it in Denmark and Norway, as I said. Um, and then the, the show really for us, Hayden, has sort of sat on the shelf for a few years and we've been looking for other opportunities to present it here in Australia. It technically has never done an Australian premiere. This will be the Australian premiere of the show. Yeah, um, and I was I was kind of um, more um, an admirer of the show. Obviously, I wasn't involved in that initial process, but then I got to go with the show when it travelled overseas and... and um, basically stage manage and call the cues and, 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 and operate some of the cues. 
um, and watched the show every night. And uh, I just admired, I just admired it. And we, I guess, we always felt like it had more to give. You know, it had this potential and it had more to give. And it's it's a work that um, because it's kind of, for lack of a better word, a bit experimental and a bit a bit um, genre defying in a way. It's it's quite hard to. Um, it's it's not a it's not a it's not a crowd pleaser in that sense. It's 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 going to be a show that means a hell of a lot to some people and doesn't mean much to others. You know, it's it's it polarizing in a, in a sense. We got quite quite strong re- responses um, at both ends of the spectrum. Um, but the show is very it, it that to some people it's so meaningful and so beautiful. Um, and to me, it was that and uh and very different to anything i've seen before so you know we were always sort of shopping it around trying to get people to believe in it but but articulating what it is to people yeah, you know it's really and hard, trying to get it? them to get behind <laughs> it is quite tricky it's a physical piece about a man who can only move his eyeballs yeah um, so but it's actually, a very it's... nuanced and delicate story and like you said Hagen, it's to- it's gender gender is genre defying because it has a contemporary. It's has also contem- gender defying. Gen- well, yeah, it has uh, contemporary dance, which Raw has brought to it. It has some text in it. Hayden does some amazing poetry in the show, and it has a not, great. Not anything like Tolliver's <laughs> that was mm, kindly sent in. A little bit similar to Tolliver, actually. Wow. Mm. <laughs> um, it has a lot of AV. It, it has immersive sound, and it has great sort of physicality. So it it kind of has everything, but at the same time, it's very hard to describe. I just want to take a moment to step back. I just realised we've all made the assumption that everyone knows what locked in syndrome is, mm. and we should, we haven't mentioned yet. So the show, for those of you listening, is based on or inspired about a condition called locked in syndrome. Um, which is the colloquial kind of term for it. I, I think medically it has a different, uh, it, it does different variations of, of what that looks like. But basically it's a condition where a patient is fully conscious and aware but unable to move their body uh, except for their the ability to blink their eyes. Mm, they can't um, speak either. They can't speak. Uh, in most cases they can breathe for themselves and swallow and blink their eyes um but it's uh it's a yeah and and some people come out of locked in syndrome it takes it can take a long time to come out of it, years and years and years some people never come out of it and some people um well, bobby bobby died, died of pneumonia, pneumonia actually because the capacity to use the lungs is severely um compromised and bobby wrote the book, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, about his experience of locked-in syndrome. And he wrote the book by blinking his only his left eye because, in fact, his right eye was sewn shut. Because it got but, an infection. And yeah, so, in fact, he only had one eye. And he used his eye to blink with, with the help of a uh, one of his therapists and they created an alphabet board and he ended up writing the book, which gave an insight into what was going on inside him. And I think for a long time people didn't realise that with locked-in syndrome, that the person is fully 100% normal and capable in their mind. It's just that they cannot move. So that was a kind of a terrifying realisation that because, for want of a better word, they appeared to be in a vegetative state. Mm. And I think that that's how people were treated for a long time, as if they were not their brain 
function was decreased, but in, it's not that at all. They're completely... Yeah, and so we then, as part of the research for the show, we were made aware of another book called The Ghost Boy, which is a, another personal account of locked-in syndrome, a person with locked-in syndrome, and it's very, very different. It, there's, there's obviously some similarities with the two experiences, but there's a lot of differences, and so that was really interesting for us to read both of those memoirs and kind of hear how there was, you know, amazing, inspiring um, thoughts that were, you know, in the case of Borby, a lot of that book is quite beautiful for those of you who have read it. It's it's actually a beautiful account of the power of his mind and imagination. But then there's also some terrifying, harrowing accounts and, and particularly in The Ghost Boy, there's some, some really full-on stuff that he experienced while in that state of locked-in um, so yeah. So in terms of the, the journey that the story took, because it's not a, it's not a stage show of either of those books, right? No, I mean, it's no. inspired by. So like Ronnie, as a as someone who was taking on the challenge of directing uh, a show, a physical theatre show, what what was the sort of, um, I guess, the things that are in those stories that you wanted to tease out, like those deeper human things or the universal things? I was inspired by the way that Bobby had an opportunity, if you like albeit a very frightening opportunity, to see the world in a completely different way, to when he was unable to move or communicate or do anything, because as human beings we are always doing, and in fact Borby was a very high-functioning editor of French Vogue magazine, um, so without the possibility of doing all he could do was be, and he the way he observed the wor- world around him almost became a whole, he saw a whole new world. He saw the minutia of the world, the beauty of the world. All his other senses became heightened. So his sight, his hearing, his smell, and even the way he felt, because he could feel things. In fact, a terrifying thing is that he said he had just enough feeling in his body to feel excruciating pain all the time because he was in pain so much. But the way that he saw the world suddenly was inspiring to me because we're so clouded by the the busyness of everything we do and we, we don't actually stop to smell the worries and in a way, Bobby got to a point where he could literally smell sunshine. Like, and you can't imagine sunshine having a smell, but it obviously, if you if you dig down into, if you're still enough, there's there was a great richness of awareness around him of a world that we already exist in, but we kind of just don't notice. Mm. Yeah. So, so I guess. Um... That's very true, and I find that when when um, you live in a very busy urban environment all the time, at to a lesser extent, I ex- experience it when I go and say visit my parents in the country, and there seemingly is nothing happening. Like, like, oh, but it's an opportunity I can to smell the rains coming. Yeah, you, you know. notice what the birds are doing, or these things, yeah. that, these details that I guess um, you just brush past in ordinary life. Um, so, so from there. Um, you got in the rehearsal room, so I wasn't privy to that process. But yeah. I think that'll be interesting for people. Like, how do you? Cause yeah, it's a, and it, it might be with something like what that Raw might be used to. I, I we didn't work with Raw on the original uh, conception of the production, but 
but we the way we worked originally for the, for this production was uh, by a method called task based improvisation. So I'd worked for a long time with a company called Force Majeure, headed by Kate Champion, which was kind of a dance company, but it was more of a physical theatre company. And we created works by task based improvisation. So you'd set it, she'd set a task that is very very specific to the concept of the work, but is seemingly um, also very generic. And she trusted by the casting of her company that each person would bring something from that task that she could then build a story from. And so it was. it's by way of dramaturgically deciding what those tasks would be, the two actors would then, you know, bring and the story would unfold by the task. And, you know, with task-based impro, you know, 90% of the stuff is kind of shit and you, you go, oh, well, that was... You know, that's going in the bin. But it's that 10% that is gold that you actually could never have written yourself. You could never have made it up yourself consciously by sitting down and going, I want to tell this story. How am I going to tell it? Task-based improvisation kind of opens it up to things that absolutely surprise you and go, I never consciously would have thought of that. Yeah, and it's a, I think it's a smart way to collaborate because often the trouble with a collaborative room is that when when there's when there's almost sort of no hierarchy and structure in the room, it, it you can spend weeks in the room together and everyone's sort of jamming and throwing stuff out there, but there's not that person to to go that's in that's out. And often you kind of walk away going, oh, you know, we had a lot of interesting conversations and we tried some stuff, but like we don't really know what we're making still. And I think by kind of um, giving people those clear parameters to to um, Work. And then they often, then they of course feel like they have some kind of ownership over what they're doing. That's right. The whole company feels like they've created. Like even when Raw came on board, you know, it was the same thing of setting her a task. So the material that Raw has created is completely her own, and it it fits into the story because of the nature of the task that was set. And then the director from the outside can sort of put all those pieces of the puzzle together. Have you worked in that way, Raw, before, like as a dancer? Well, I since I've been in Australia, it's always worked that way, like yeah. giving task, um, and um, giving instructions, and then we will walk away, and then to have a little time to ourselves to create something that that's you feel and inspired by the task that giving you, and then you create a little phrase, and then we will show each other, and also to show the choreographer, and then. He or she will twitch around, uh, change a little bit to to how it fits to the to the show. So mm. I've been in Australia almost twenty years, and I've been working in this way for yeah almost twenty years. But it's really mm. funny. Before that, it's always giving the exact movement, and then we just do like an army. Like mm-hmm. how I train back in, in, in back Taiwan. home in in Taiwan, right. it's it's always the set Corey, and we'll do exactly the same, same angle, same levels, and if you're wrong, then you just out of the formation. So how was that when you the first time that happened when you came here and so somebody very, went, oh, you make up what so you make up the very moves. struggle. I'm <laughs> like, um, my first like you know company I work with is Dance North, which work with Gavin Weber, who is a co-director of the farm. 
Um, so he will do a lot of im improvisation. He will go like, okay, so this is this is the ideas of uh, this task, and so we're gonna do this improvisation for like two hours, and now we're just gonna film it, and then you just do whatever that you feel like in these two hours. So first, I was very very struggle. I would mm. uh, probably the first like 10, 15 minutes, I would just kind of quietly be on the corner <laughs> and then just observing like what other people do. And what was that? Do you think that, that it was a struggle for you? Was that um, more about how you'd been conditioned and giving yourself permission to, to let that flow out of you? Yeah, I think it just um, like the training that I had back in Taiwan that was just being told, like, you know, like the teacher tell you to do. So you, 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 you are not allow yourself to be creative mm. in any way, like all like, you know, to be yourself, we all have to be the same. So to let myself out of that little bubble, it was, it took me a really long time. So would you say, uh, was it just that the particular particular school that you trained at that was no, that way? Or was that, you said da contemporary dance in Taiwan is, is across yeah, the board? Yeah, all the dance school. Right. All the dance school in It's Taiwan. a lot more regimented and... Yeah, and it's very disciplined. Right. So it would be um, year two in certain companies as well, like if you were in the... Yeah, like, you know... Yeah, ballet or cine dance company. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Is it is it a case of uh, that's a that's a a product of the form when you're working in a more contemporary form? Mm -hmm. It lends itself to uh, collaborating and and um, improvisation as opposed to a form like ballet that is a little bit more. No, I think there are some contemporary dance companies who very much the mm. choreographer is a choreographer, mm. and they come up with all the choreography and you mm. learn learn it. And I mean, some you know, sometimes like you know, they, if they're a great choreographer and they have that stamp on that production, it can be really amazing. Mm -hmm. So, but there are very there's some special people who work in this way, this task based improvisation way. And I remember Kate sort of Kate Champion when she's created Force Majeure, she was very inspired by DBA physical theatre. Mm -hmm. So Lloyd Newsom, like, so it it, it kind of has a bit of a lineage of of a way of working for contemporary dance that I think the farm adopt, but um, it, I don't think it's general across the board that mm, the no. people adopt this this way of working. But I, I find it really inspiring. I think people, mm. if you have the right people together, that everybody's ideas are, and that melting pot of ideas, it takes you to places that no one person being the director or being the choreographer or being the writer could have arrived at on their own. So what do you see in that context, the role of the director then? Oh, very much... Um, like, for example, Kate would have a really strong idea of the production. There's no doubt about it. Um, and the, the feel and the look and the, the story that was going to be told, like that's all done. That's all, there's a lot of preparation, but then it's, and then being very specific about the task. It's not just, oh, let's, you know, let's just be locked in for two hours. Mm. Um, it's very specific. I know that, you know, I gave you tasks at something about, you know, oh, I can't remember. One task that Kate gave us right at the end of the day, it was five to six and it was really, we were really tired, but it, it was, the task was recovering from devastation. 
Do you know what I mean? Like it's very specific, mm. but She's it's searching very for an gen- idea. She was searching for an idea. Yeah. It was the mm. beginning of the show. The show was about mm. catastrophe, mm. but the one aspect that she was looking at was what happens when you the catastrophe has just happened and you have to pull yourself up. And so the, the tasks are very specific. They're not just like um, everybody. It's not just a soup. It's very guided. Mm. Um, and, and, it, and I know in Kate's, because I was able to observe some of those processes, they, I think there was also a, a skill and a very deliberate um, decision around the types of artists that she would get in the room yeah, because definitely. she would then ask that same task of an actor of a dancer, of a yeah. circus performer, yeah. of of people with these vastly different backgrounds, and and you could see her trying to go. I want to see how the dancer interprets that task, and how the actor interprets yeah. that task, and how the writer interprets that task, and yeah. and then you end up with these really interesting offers as a result of that. Um, so, and you you get to a point in a process, and I think that you did with Johanna, and also when Roar and Hayden came into this process of. You you make offers and it's okay if they're shit. They really are. Like because it, you're not going to get to the gold unless you get through the detritus. Is that the word? Detritus. It's a good word. Wasn't that a Greek warrior? Detritus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think mistaken. you're right. I think you're right there, Hayden. Um, you really know your Greek history. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, yeah, 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 and you find that gold and, and, it, and it, it look, it's scary because you kind of don't know if you're going to find it. And it's scary because you might see 90% of stuff that's, oh, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right. But you just have to trust that it will come. It will come if you've got the very the right dramaturgical sort of frameworks there and the very specific tasks set to try to, you know, tell those parts of the well, story. Well, that's probably yeah. a good segue because I was going to ask about the difference between the original production and this new revamped um, version and it, there's quite a lot of changes and additions. It's a very different show um, now. And do you want to maybe talk about that? Because that was sort of the first starting point for when we were going to revisit it was like to re-look at the what was missing from the original production. Yeah, the, why, the why, dramaturgy why, and... why ask? You know, like you just touched on, it's the it's the selection of the artists and what roles you put them in is is vital and then you can have a kind of a curatorial role um, yeah. and set parameters and tasks. And, yeah, why why did you sort of arrive on Roar and myself and the addition of the nurse character and so forth? I think um, – I, I don't think when we did the first production that we ever felt like we arrived at – a fully fledged show. We kind of did a creative development and did a showing and then didn't really have time to finish it off. And I think this version of the show is the fuller, richer version of what we originally had hoped for. <clears throat> and because Johanna was playing she was playing the nurse and the wife, there's only there's only three characters in this. There's the wife, the man who has locked in, and the nurse. And Johanna was playing both and and the idea that we'd have a nurse as a separate character and not her switching really fleshed it out because the wife now being raw was free to just explore the character of the wife and we wanted to invite raw in because we knew that we wanted to push the the physicality a little bit more into contemporary dance and contemporary dancers have such a beautiful way of expressing interior landscapes a lot more more than actors do actors have a great um 
capacity to be athletic with their emotions, but somehow dancers are able to bring the interior landscape out more through every uh, fibre of their body. Yeah, So, but funnily enough, Raw has capacity to do both. She can bring the interior landscape out through her body, but she also has a great uh, interior landscape going on as far as her emotional journey is. And we kind of knew that about Raw because when she walks on the stage, she's already really um, connected and captivating as a as a human, not just a, a dancer, if you like. Yeah, yeah I remember Raw, seeing I remember yeah. seeing you in in shows Raw and just my eye going to you quite often more than other dancers, um, not just because of your extraordinary physicality, but it was exactly what Ronnie's talking about. There was something in your performance which mm-hmm. often when I watch contemporary dance there's there's quite that kind of neutral dance face and there's not a lot of expression and emotion and and that might be a directory or a choreographic choice but the works that I've seen you in you you there was this kind of well this emotional well that seemed so vast every time I've seen you you just bring this kind of emotion to your performance which was so captivating um so Compliments, compliments. I feel She's so flashing. overwhelmed and my face is all <laughs> red right now. <laughs> but it's true. No, I agree. It's it, true. Was, it was unanimous when we when we talked about it. It was the name. Uh, yeah, we're going to make you really uncomfortable. But Rod just has it on yeah. stage, that thing. Yeah. And it's uh, it's a... Is very dynamic as a mover, and that's I can't I can't speak dance language. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I know when I watch a dancer, like what captures me, and I I, I always thought of it as like a you got a throttle that you can just go from something really gentle, and then you can just get this momentum, you, you know, this incredible um, physical yeah. force that you can sort of generate, but with control, and like it's very dynamic to watch, like. And I don't know if that harks back to the. I know you did some traditional dance training. I, th- I think all these performers that that it's really powerful come from me on stage. I think we just saw this year's training that work with uh, the company. Like you know, Gavin Gavin Weber definitely was the the one that's really brings me up to here. That the the production I always work with it has a very rich storyline. In 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 the in the dance production, so that and then that that helps me like bring my head in, cause like when I do this movement, there's a stories behind. Mm. So and then I think that sort of similar to the theater as well, because it's you know you guys have script and it's all very story driven, you know, text based and and so so that's a very similar way. So mm. and also I think that's. That just really helps helps me mm. when I perform. That not not just doing movement, but this move, movement has stories behind, and then that just helped me. To yeah, because I think we couldn't, you know, although we knew we wanted to try and bring contemporary dance to the piece, we didn't just want any contemporary dancer. Like it was very specific. Mm. There's only a handful of. Um, People who so we we kind of had to go headhunting and go. It's not just like oh, let's just put an audition out for a dancer. It was like we need to a very specific mm-hmm. type of uh, performer, really, because the role demanded more than just yeah. The wife dancing. role is very it's emotional roller coaster. I mean, she 
it's a very quite a harrowing role and that's difficult to ask a dancer to do in a way they have to really rise to the idea of of taking on that acting acting that role but I knew well we chatted to Raw to see if she was interested in rising to that challenge because not everybody is and that's fine like yeah I remember that was last year yeah you and Guy Guy Webster our sound designer that um because we were all working in another production. I mean, it's still in development. And then Ronnie was working at the Brisbane Powerhouse when we were there. And then she walked in and then she, her and Guy were having a little chit-chat. And then and I was sort of like stand next to them. I was like, what are they talking about? And, you know, eyes on me. And, and then they said, we have this production. And then we think you might be mm. the right person. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, and then we had to, like, really, you know, allow Raw to think about that, to watch mm. the video, to think about if she wanted to do it, because it is a bit of a commitment. It's a, it's an emotional commitment. Um, and she was really up for the challenge, which was so so cool. Um, yeah, and then the idea of the, the nurse character, uh, I mean, that... The thing about the story is that as beautiful as it can be to, oh, explore the rich tapestry of a man who has this great internal life because his external life has been robbed from him, it's not all smelling the roses. You know, it was a harrowing experience for the or ghost. the sunshine, as the case may or be. Or smelling the sunshine, yeah. Um, or smelling other people's farts because he said that lots of people would come into his room and just rip with farts because... They thought he was a vegetable and that he couldn't – nobody cares. It's like, what do you do when, when you think somebody – about like being described as a piece of furniture. Yeah, he was described a as a – Yeah, he felt like he was treated as a pot plant. Anyway, the ghost boy, it was quite harrowing, some of the things that happened to him. So it also spoke to us about how we as human beings are capable of mistreating other human beings when they are a little bit powerless. So different levels of power and – you know, people who are very old and very frail and how much, how terrifying it is, you know, even in our rich and well-educated country that that old people can still be so horrendously abused. What makes someone not look at another human being? Not just old people, but like people in disability care. That's right, uh, yeah. You know, there's there's horrific examples. When do they lose their humanity when someone becomes unable to speak for themselves. Mm. So it was like finding a speaking up for people who couldn't, and this man can't speak for himself. So we needed to develop a character to show that darker side of that, and it's real. I mean, they had the Royal Commission into Aged Care and also Disability, and, you know, and it, it's just people next door to us who, you know, are seemingly going to work and doing these horrendous things to people just through lack of compassion and lack of empathy and a lack of hu- humanitarianism. Mm. Humanitarianism. I don't think that. Forget that. Can you scratch that, David? Just I don't edit that think one out. humanitarianism a lack is of a great humanity. God. I'm pretty a certain humanitarianism is humanity. not a great God. Um, and, Let's fact and, check that. And is, it, is that something that is new to us? Are we lacking humanity because, you know, we have everything and we're, everything is going so fast and we're not connected anymore? Or have we always been like that? I don't know, but I think it's something we have to look at in ourselves we have to learn to communicate and treat people with respect. And this character well, that Hayden plays, I'm sure you can speak to it, he does, unfortunately for him, he does represent that, that the, the type of person who cannot see the humanity in another person who can't speak for themselves. 
They just so, so basically just a bit typecast there, Hayden, as a prick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but look, and this is probably over, overly simplifying it. But my my mum, to quote my great mother, um, being a good person's a choice, you know. And I think when you get a vulnerable person, it in some people it it kind of uh, becomes an opportunity um, for them for them to have an outlet, you know, and it brings yeah. out their worst part of themselves. Like bullying, I guess. Yeah, but everybody's got the potential for good and bad. I think it becomes a choice at some point. Yeah. What was your um, – because, as you said, before you were associate director originally on the show and kind of travelled with it and, and w- w- watched it a lot, when we started talking about – the potential of including you as a role in the show, what was it that you sort of thought you could bring to that character, that nurse character in particular? Um, well, it was a funny thing to, because I, I, um, I wanted to make the character complex. I think it's like any villain. You don't want to just play a, 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 a one-dimensional asshole. That's, that's not even even people who do bad things, that's not accurate to, to how they are. Um, but I also understand that the story is not about this character. It's the man's, it's the man's story. It's the, the man and, and the woman's story. And this character is, 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 a, is a part of that story, is a support to that story. So for me it was about what does this character contribute to that story? What function do they play? Um, so how can, how can I inject the danger and the horror in into uh, this couple's lives, in particular into the man's life, but at the same time make this character um, complex. I wouldn't say redeemable, but make he, make mm. him a human being mm. rather than just well, this character that comes in and does horrible things. He doesn't think he's horrible. He doesn't. And I think no. he's just, you're right when you said, you know, he... He's, he's a normal person who doesn't see the humanity in somebody else because this man is lying there. He's, he's as good as like in a coma in a way. Um, and so he, he just doesn't empathise with this man at all. So I think we all at some time have a lack of empathy with people. They can be suffering terribly inside and we kind of don't see it. So this man, the nurse just doesn't see the man he just sees him as a lump of flesh. And so, therefore, he, he doesn't have any responsibility to the man um, and he sort of ends up treating him quite a lot. He brings the outside world in and treats him like shit because if he's having a bad day, it's a bit of an outlet to sort mm. of, you know, take it out on somebody who's helpless and vulnerable, makes you feel better. It doesn't make you a bad person but it just... Um, I think it's part of our human capa- our capacity as human well, there's beings. There's no reper- there's no repercussions no. for his actions. I mean, this is a this is a silent witness that 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 cannot tell anybody, that cannot yeah. respond. So he's, you know, that the, there's no consequences for anything mm. he does. And so that idea, like we talked about, Ronnie, that what when when a person has that audience, like what comes out, you know, so, and it, it lends itself to some comedy as well, you know, some of the absurdity of that sort of situation of a character who comes in, uses this guy as a sounding board for his own selfish insecurities and, yeah. and, and does treat him like a pot plant, you know, and, yeah. and, and forgets that he can't respond. And, um, and there's some, I guess, very dark humor in there just through that sort of um, situation. Because it's us. 
because it's our show. Well, and, and you give me the task of, you know, come up with some fucked up dark humor. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That I can we en- did enact wanna, on Sam. Then, we did want a bit know, of... I, I was coming into rehearsals every day rubbing my hands with it's like glee. It's because of Sam, so you can do anything. Yeah. But then yeah. it's like, okay, well, let's actually refine it down to what we're, what we're going to keep and actually do in real life. And I also think that... Well, I gave... Know, ta- sorry, I gave one of the tasks, for example, that I gave Hayden was... Um, that uh, if he had a captive audience of one, you know, what are some of the hidden talents that he had that he could share with this audience? So the man is a captive audience. He can't say, no, don't, please don't practice your break dancing in my room. Mm. He, he can't say no. So Hayden sort of came up with a whole bunch of hidden talents that he had, and they were quite hilarious. It was hard to hone down on them, actually. Yeah, yeah, there was some card tricks in there, and we didn't try too many. Oh, that's but, why we didn't do the break dancing. No, we had lots of ideas, but yeah. we pretty quickly kind of refined it down to, um, well, I don't want to blow it, but yeah. just come and see the show. But yeah. um, <laughs> the man, the man has some creative outlets well, that he wants to. Sh- yeah, the nurse has some creative outlets that he wants to share with the man, and they're not necessarily meant for to be heard by anyone else. No, and they're not necessarily meant to be funny. I guess it was. Which I know just you've always said about watching those, um, you know, Australia's Got Talent and the voice that sometimes when people come on, you have been known to say that person probably doesn't need to share no, their talent we with don't the entire all world. have to share the things that we think we, we You have could just do that in your in. bedroom. Just do it for yourself in your bedroom. Yeah. Do not share it with. You know, strangers. Into where it becomes actually more entertaining, but in a different way. I'm sure the producers are hyper aware of that when they're casting for those shows, for sure. Um, I don't know. We should probably um, wrap wrap it it up, but I just thought um, something to finish on, just in terms of like your intention for um, what you want the audience to walk away from the show. Do you know what's funny? it's funny about when you're creating a work, if, if anyone really has an intention for what they want the audience to think and feel, I think if they, the intention is very, very strong, then I think the piece is um, maybe not something I would be creating because it's yeah, my intention is to tell a particular story and how the audience respond to it is none of my business. I don't want to make a piece of shit that makes people... I want to make a quality work, a work that has unbelievable dancing that's why we got one of the best dancers around that has really great acting you know with the with the the boys in shock therapy and so it has unbelievable quality but I'm not interested in what um the audience will bring especially with the work that is so genre bending the audience are going to bring and they're going to see things that we can't even imagine that we that we can't expect them to see because when you take away language and you take away linear narrative that frees the audience up to have an imagination of their own so I do I'm really interested to to talk to the audience to see what they saw and what they felt we are very intentional in what we created but how the audience receives it is kind of out of our hands in a certain way Agree. <laughs> <laughs> what do you hope people get out of it, Raw? Me or the yeah. audience? Oh, what, what's your, I guess, hope or desire that people walk away from 
the performance with? I just feel, I just hope they can feel touched, like I, like how I feel. Like after the dress run today, I just said to Ronnie, that was like an hour later after the dress rehearsal, and I just still feel really heavy emotionally by the run. Mm. So, so yeah, so I hope that audience can feel how I feel, yeah. Aiden? Uh, look, it's, 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 uh, the show, I think, like, like all really strong shows, they they just reflect life. And the show, it sounds really sad and tragic, and it is. But it's that it's it's finding the beauty in that, and that is the experience of living as a human being. It's inherently kind of sad and tragic and beautiful at the same time. And so I think I hope people feel that and walk away, you know, and and want to go and hug their loved ones and. Make them make the most of what they have and the opportunities that they have. That's true. The piece is about seizing mm. the day. <laughs> it's about yeah. seeing the beauty in what's around you, no, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your disability or your ability is, that you can see the richness of life in all of its its beauty. Mm. I think for me, although. The story is about a very, very specific, rare condition that the show is about so much more than that. It's about all the things we've just been talking about. And, and I think that's what can be misleading with people go, uh, a show about locked-in syndrome, how are you going to do that? But you don't have to have had any direct experience of knowing someone with locked-in syndrome or having experienced it yourself or anything to i think get something out of this show because when you see it you'll see that it's tapping into this these themes of humanity and empathy and uh communication existentialism and spirituality it's a deeply for me it's a very deeply spiritual show it it goes, really it goes beyond narrative yeah it it taps into a uh, a kind of an idea of what our, the meaning of of our existence really like on a, on a very deep level um so so yeah i i, I like you said ronnie i i you can't really control what people are going to read into the mm. show but i think we've been very intentional and deliberate in creating this very open-ended um blank canvas in many ways like here's an experience of a guy and these people that interact with this harrowing terrifying condition and and what that reveals about themselves and about I think through the audience seeing that um, makes them reflect on their own experience. I think that's what p hopefully people will walk away from it with. Mm. Yeah, and that's an hour well spent mm. for sure. I know we're all very proud of it. Um, Could have been some more songs in there though. Songs or break dancing. Dancing. Yeah. <laughs> version juggling. version 3.0 um, before we wrap up I do want to say um, that this none of this would be possible without the amazing support of the of Queensland theatre and in particular Lee Lewis uh, Lee came to us at the start of this year Hayden was it yeah it could have even been end of last year and basically said, Hey, so we're we're looking at doing this uh, program. I want to introduce supporting local independent artists and companies. I like what you guys are doing. Um, how could we help? How basically? How could we support you? And and we sort of said, well, we're in the game of making shows. We need 
places and resources to put shows on. So you've got a theatre, you've got resources, that's how you could help us. Yeah, which is amazing. That never happens, you know, that uh, um, never had the state theatre company come to us and say, what do you need? Do you money do you need a theater do you need both do you need you know and just and kind we of said all of the above <laughs> yeah with sort of not much in it for them in a way mm. um just to support the sector so that was an amazing kind of genuine offer of uh, you know putting their money where their mouth is yeah and and you know i was just it was amazing amazing visionary kind of approach by lee to go we have a responsibility to build an ecology mm. and an arts ecology within Queensland and that's part of our um, remit as a company and if we're not doing that we're not doing our job mm. and and I just yeah I just want to acknowledge that that's a that's really amazing and we're incredibly grateful for that and um, absolutely so there's still time to get tickets there uh, are still time the Queensland Theatre website locked in look if you listen to this and the season's come and gone well still hope you enjoyed the chat and the show may have a, a life in future if you're um, listening to this and you run a international arts festival or a massive venue and you you were available yeah <laughs> yep. book the show it transcends language us. language Contact barriers us. to yeah. shock therapy yeah exactly <laughs> um but yeah if you if you are coming to see the show this is a little sneak peek into the process and how we arrived at it so we hope you enjoyed the show if you've already seen the show if you're coming to see the show we hope you enjoy it and um yeah everyone else Thanks for Veronica and Shinru, yeah, for uh, talking out your arts with us. Thanks. Thank you. Nice. You're great. Look at that.